morning. How are you guys? Good, good. Hey, in case we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Will. I have an honor of serving on the team here at Grace, and we are so excited that you are here to worship with us this morning. If you are new, first time, second time, you want to get plugged in or learn more about the church here at all, I want to encourage you to text the word welcome to this phone number on the screen. We had a great Discover Grace class this morning where we just talked about some things that we believe as a church, how we operate, and, and you don't have to wait for the next one to come up. If you just want to text in, if you want to get more plugged in, I'd love to talk with you. Church Online, that goes for you too. We'd love a chance just to get to connected and answer any questions that you may have. You know, I am becoming more and more convinced of this reality that as different as we are from each other, you look to the left or to the right, in front of you or behind you, you're, you're pretty different from the people sitting around you, that regardless of how different we may be from each other, we have more in common than we have different. That we are more the same than we realize. In fact, even if you are here and you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with God that someone just drug you to church this morning and you're sitting here to appease somebody or you got invited by a coworker, we are so glad that you're here and I still think that we have more in common than we have different. We're going to start a brand new sermon series today called Life, Money, Legacy. Any guesses as far as what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks? Yeah. We're all trying to get through life. Right? In different seasons, we all ask the same questions. What is life all about? How do I get through life? What is the meaning, the purpose of life? You graduate high school or college or trade school and you start a career. You get married, you're trying to figure out what life is all about. Or you're near retirement age and you try to figure out what this next season of life is going to be like. What's my meaning? What's purpose? What's value that, that, I, that I can add, I can contribute to this world and to my life? What, what's this next season going to look like? And then in between, we have a midlife crisis. Anyone there right now, you want to admit you're having a midlife crisis? No? Okay. Right? We, we ask these same questions all the time. All of us ask us, all, we, we, we go through these in our mind, right? What's the meaning, the purpose of life? We all struggle with money, right? There's never enough of it. Anybody have just so much money they don't know what to do with? Okay, if you do, come see me. We can talk about it. I can give you some ideas. <laughs> right? We're, 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 we're struggling with this and how we leave a legacy. Maybe some of, maybe, maybe I'm not as concerned with this as much so yet, but I know, I know because I've heard from some of you guys as you near retirement age, as you get a little bit older, you're concerned about the legacy that not just you're going to leave behind to the next generation, but what the church is going to leave behind, what the world is going to leave behind. And, and we, we wrestle and we're struggling through these topics. And so for the next couple weeks, we're, gonna, we're just going to look at life, money, and legacy, and we're going to see what Scripture has to say about them. And we're going to mainly focus on what Scripture refers to, who Scripture refers to as the wisest man to ever live, a guy by the name of Solomon. And Sol Solomon has a lot to say about life, money, and legacy. And today, as we tackle this topic of life, most of our discussion is going to center around the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book that Solomon wrote towards the end of his life as he was reflecting on his life. And as he reflected, he saw different seasons of his life, how he focused on different things, how he tried to find meaning and purpose and value in different aspects of life, 
only to come to a conclusion at the end of the book that I'm not going to spoil it quite yet for us. But he, much like you, tried to find meaning and purpose and value in different things in this world. He started by trying to acquire great wisdom. He said, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 16 to 18, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom, to no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So the more of the matter, those who are in, in high school and middle school right now, right? Knowledge is useless. It's worthless. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to listen to your teachers, right? It's all striving after the wind. Okay, not so, not, not so fast. Solomon values wisdom and knowledge and learning, and we see that throughout other writings that he has, that there is important stuff that we have to know about this life, right? This is so important that we mandate our kids have to go to school and have to learn things, foundational skills for life. And it doesn't just end with high school, right? We, we go on and we have a career, and many of you are in careers and fields where you have to do continual education, right? You, you have to take continual continuing education credits, and you have to keep learning, and, and every leadership podcast and book that I read or listen to, right, they emphasize this aspect of being a continual life learner and growing in our knowledge and understanding. Winston Churchill actually put it this way. He said, I'm always ready to learn, although I do not always like being taught. Anyone else resonate with that? Man, some teachers or some teaching experiences as life is a great teacher sometimes. It's not always the kindest. But it is important that we keep learning. And yet, value and meaning and purpose in life is not found in learning. Right? It's a good thing, but, but it is not the ultimate thing. It is a striving after the wind. It's meaningless and pointless and doesn't add. It's not where we find meaning and purpose in life. Solomon goes on in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 to try self-indulgence. And I'm sure we know where this goes, right? I said to, in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Worthless, meaningless. And right, we can, we can sit back, we can acknowledge that we know this, that we understand this. We know that stuff in this world fades away, but it doesn't keep us from getting a new car or a bigger home or nice new brand name clothing when we have a closet full already, or the newest iPhone, or spending even more on our hobbies out on the golf course, or whatever other hobbies we may have, and we, we keep pouring into it, right? We keep getting stuff. And not that stuff is, is bad, just like wisdom in and of itself. This is not a bad thing. First Timothy, Paul actually says this, chapter 6, verse 17 as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Right? God built into this world things for us to enjoy. It is good that we have hobbies we enjoy. It is good that we have things that we enjoy, but they are not the end all be all. And we have to make sure that those things don't have us. 
and we're not trying to find meaning and purpose in those things. Finally, he tries works and building all kinds of different things and, and working to find meaning and purpose in life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2.18, he comes to this conclusion, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. He realizes that all his work has been for nothing because someone else is going to benefit from it. Somebody else is going to get it. Right? Work is a good thing. I believe that when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them a task to do because we were created to work. We just weren't created for work. Right? Our, our meaning, our purpose in life is not to work. We were created to work. We just weren't created that to be our, our sole purpose and to give us meaning and value in life. The work is a good thing. So he tries all these things under the sun. And he sees that they are chasing after the wind. Vanity, meaningless, worthless. And I think we have more in common than we'd even like to admit. And I'm sure that some of you who have lived a little bit more life than I have can look back over your life and see maybe different seasons where you put a lot of hope and trust in the things of this world or the work that you did or things like Solomon. And, and maybe you've come to the same conclusion that it is meaningless, worthless, and I hope that maybe you've come to the same conclusion he did. And if you're maybe starting out your journey, students, pay attention to this. Because you can avoid a lot of heartache and heartbreak if you'll understand what Solomon concludes from the matter. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 13, and 14. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. After all has been said, after all has been tested, after all has been pursued, the end of the matter are two things, to fear God and to keep his commandments. To fear God and keep his commandments. So what does this mean, to fear God and keep his commandments? So we're going to look at both of these this morning. The first one is just simply to fear God. And too many times, I believe, we want to kind of water this down. We translate fear where we understand fear is more of a respect that we are to have for God. But, but I think this is also supposed to be a fear. But we, we are to fear God. Think about how many times in Scripture it says, do not fear or do not be afraid. And so many of them are in response to seeing the glory of God, to seeing the presence of God, to coming face to face with God himself. And the response every single time in Scripture that someone sees God is falling to their knees, falling to the ground in fear of God. Now, as we learn about God, what we see is that he's also a friend. He is a good father. But the initial response to coming face to face with the presence of God is fear. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Right? Fear is not a bad thing. This might be a bit controversial. You might disagree with my parenting technique here. But there is a part of me in this season of life with a two-year-old, I want him to fear me. 
In fact, this is one of the areas Hannah and I disagree on. We've had several conversations about this. Sorry, I'm sharing a little bit of this. We, we disagree on this, but there's a part of me that I want him to fear me. I want to be on the back porch and say his name, and he stop in his tracks in fear. Because we have a road that comes through here, and parents coming twice a day to pick up students and drop off students, and that fear might be a bit terrifying, but it's a whole lot better than getting hit by a car. And I want him to fear when I say his voice in this particular way, I want, him, I want fear to strike his heart and stop at his tracks. Now, I'll also say that is not just what I want him to, to experience from me. And there are many times that he chooses me over Hannah, and it makes my heart happy, and I enjoy it. And he knows that I love him, and I care for him deeply, and he, we wrestle around on the floor, and we play around. We have a great time. It is not the only thing that I want him to experience, but I want to strike fear in his heart because sometimes it is needed. But man, do I look forward to that day when he's in high school, college, when he's an adult, and we can be friends. And I am really, really looking forward to that day. And I think that is a t that's a day that we get to with our relationship with God. Also, we start as an infant, as a toddler, with the fear of God being the beginning of knowledge, being the beginning of wisdom, but in John 15, 15, he says to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. And just like the relationship between me and my son, where there is a bit more fear and we're not friends, I'm his dad, I'm going to tell him exactly what to do. I look forward to the day where I get to be his friend, and I am so glad to be in a place in my relationship with God where he, I call him friend. And there is still that fear. There's still that fear inside of me that he is God. Just like there's that fear for, for a high school student who's like, what's mom and dad going to do if I come in late after curfew? There still might be a fear there to some degree, but, but there's a friendship that is so much deeper and so much sweeter because we are to fear God and keep his commandments. So the second part of that is to keep his commandments. And so the natural question then is, is what commandments are we supposed to keep? We go back to the Old Testament. We have the Ten Commandments that are there. We see the extended law and the 613 laws that God explicitly gave his people as far as how they're supposed to live and what they're supposed to do. And, and, and a very specific long list of laws and commands for his people to follow. Then we also have the prophets, right, as they come and they bring a word from the Lord. Sometimes it's an encouraging word. Sometimes it's a word, Israel, you need to get your act together. And we can infer all kinds of laws and commands from, from the prophets. And we get to Jesus, and, and he goes back and says a few things like you've heard it said, listing an Old Testament law, but I tell you, and he, he strips away the outside of the law to reveal the heart of the law. He, he strips away the outside command to, to reveal a deeper command. And, and so we see the letters to the churches and the rest of the New Testament, and, and they have words to the churches and, and things that we can infer as commands and laws. And so what laws are we supposed to keep? I deeply believe in a simple truth that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He created it perfect, and sin has come into this world and, and messed it up a little bit. 
But this book of, of commands and this book of instructions of, of how to best live life is not given to us to put a cap on fun or reduce the fun to ha- that we're, we're to have. But if God created this world, he knows best how it's supposed to be lived. So this is not a book to reduce fun, but to actually the opposite, show us how to get the most fun out of life, to enjoy life to the fullest, how to live life as the way God created it to be lived. Now, you might not like how God created the world, and I get that. I understand that. Not a big fan of spiders. Just, just admit, I don't know why God had to create them. Don't really like them, not afraid of them. I just don't really like them. But he created this world with them in it. And so he created this world in a particular way, and, and he gives us some guidelines and some rules to get the most out of life. And as we see Jesus in the New Testament kind of stripping away the, the external commands and revealing the heart behind the command, I believe that there are some principles that commands flow from depending on culture and where we live. And the principle is the heart of the command that we see all throughout Scripture. And so this morning, I, just to illustrate this point, I, I just want to share two principles that I see throughout Scripture from beginning to end, that a whole lot of commands come from. That a whole lot of, a lot of commands come from in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that are consistent. The, these principles that are underlying that, that have a whole lot of commands that we, should, that we should always honor and keep these commandments from God. And the first one of these is love. Right? Love has always been a part of the Old and the New Testament. When Jesus is asked in Matthew chapter 22, what's the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? Referring to the Old Testament, because that was the Scripture that they had of the day. And he said to them, Matthew 22, 37 to 39, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we can go back to the Old Testament. In fact, at another point, Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two laws, to love God and to love people. And we can go back to the Old Testament law, and we see how all the laws that God gives his people are rooted in this one command, to love God and to love people. Right? And Jesus says these as two separate laws, but this is not a, well, love God first and foremost, and if there's time, if you can find a way to, if, if it's convenient and not so hard, and love people in the process, then that's a good thing too. No, these are these two foundational laws to both love God and love people. It's what Paul refers to in Ephesians as he says, to speak the truth in love. We are not to compromise our love for God, Sometimes it's really hard then to sit down and think, how do I both love God and love people? How do I honor God and and uphold his law and his truth and speak in a very loving way with full of compassion and grace to other people? That's a really hard thing to do, but this is what we are called to do. This is the command to love God and to love people. And so many commands come from it, but that is the command that is consistent throughout the Old and the New Testament. There's another example that I, that I throw out to you this morning that I see as a, a principle, a command from God that is consistent in both the Old and the New Testament, and that is this principle of, of purity. 
of purity, of abstaining from sexual immorality. And we see so many laws in the Old Testament about this and leading ourselves away from sexual immorality, and it is just all throughout the New Testament also. In fact, as Paul is reaching the Gentile believers with the good news of Jesus Christ, they have a lot of questions. This is the, the hotly debated topic of the first century church. What Jewish laws do Gentile believers have to follow? Right? The, these are not Jewish believers. They, they don't follow the law. Do they have to become a Jew? Do they have to observe all the Old Testament laws? Some of the laws, none of the laws. And, and the apostles get together. They pray. They, they think and talk about this. And this is their letter and part of their response back to the Gentile believers. Acts chapter 15, verse 29, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Right? Of all the laws in the Old Testament, of all the guidelines that they want Jewish, uh, uh, Gentile believers to observe and to keep of the Jewish law, abstaining and keeping yourself pure away from sexual morality is a key part of it. It is so prevalent in our world today, church. Things like pornography are breaking marriages apart. Emotional affairs, connecting with someone who you're not married to at an emotional level, breaking marriages apart. Physical affairs, cheating on your spouse, breaking marriage is apart. And it's not just about marriage, though. If you are single, because you're single right now in this season, whether you've been married in the past or not, like the call to purity and abstain from sexual morality is still the same. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 6.18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Right, Paul puts this in another category all in and of itself, not because it's worse than the others, but because it's different. Every other sin, if I lie to you, it is outside my body. It's not a good thing, and it might impact me and, and, and my body eventually, but, but sexual immorality, it affects my body. And the truth, the reality is that you are created in the image of God. You are beautiful. You are his workmanship. And for those of us who put our hope and faith in Jesus, our body becomes a temple for the Holy Spirit. Our body is a temple for God himself. And we are to honor and respect this temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. And this is a command that we see from God throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And there are others. I don't have a whole lot of time to go into every command that we see in Scripture or every category that we may, may see that's overarching categories or principles. But the sum of the matter, the end of the day, when all has been heard, Solomon says to fear God and keep his commands. Church, I deeply believe that God created this world and everything in it and created it in a certain way where we can enjoy it, where it is going to be good if we can fear God and keep his commands. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Look, I know life is hard. 
Life is really hard. You have a lot of stressors happening at work. You have a lot of family dynamics that can kind of be complicated sometimes and stressful. There's a lot of anxiety. Life is hard. And I'm not saying that fearing God and keeping his commandments will make it easier or easy. But it will lead to a life of meaning and purpose as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, 29 and 30, says, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The things that we are carrying around, Jesus took to the cross, and when he came out of the grave, what he took there on my behalf stayed in the grave. Right? I have this ability to have new life because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I can have life abundantly because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And at the end of the day, my responsibility to live life to the fullest, to get the most out of life, to find meaning and purpose and value in life is to fear God and keep his commandments in church. That is what we do together. That's what we do together. This is why community is so important. Life groups are important. Staying connected with people of like-minded faith is so important because this is a really hard life to do and to walk alone. And so together, we support each other. We encourage each other to fear God and keep his commandments. Father God, we are so grateful for this book that you have given us, how you have showed us history how you teach us so much wisdom and, and knowledge through this book. And, and God, you show us your heart. You show us how to live life and to live it abundantly, how to, to navigate life and avoid the potholes and pitfalls and, and all these different pieces of life. And so, God, we just say thank you, and I pray that you will instill in us a desire to fear you and keep your commandments so that we can experience this amazing life that you have created for us to enjoy.